Welcome to the Second Success Podcast by Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Getting clear on the mindset for repeatable success. Hello and welcome to the Second Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. On today's episode, I've got a very good friend of mine, Seema Agarwal. She has gone from a corporate career to a bit of entrepreneurship and now is into amateur boxing. So we're going to get to hear from her and what it took for her to uh, be a success in what she's currently doing now. So uh, listen out for that. Seeing as I don't have Clubhouse yet, I thought I would do an Instagram Live. It's been a while. Uh, I did. I used to do quite a few last year, so I thought I'd give it another go. I wasn't sure what to expect, if people would join or not. But I uh, thought I'd give it a go, you know, jump on for about 15 minutes, half an hour. I ended up being on there for about just over an hour, I think it was, covering such topics as positivity, what it's like to be a coach, how I went through coaching training and what kind of coaches there are out there. I based a lot of it on uh, an article that's come out in the March edition of the Cosmopolitan magazine. It's uh, I'm going to lean over actually and just grab it so I can read it out. The Big Life Coach Con, The Gurus Cashing In At Your Expense. It was quite a lengthy article and it uh, talks to the coaching industry as a whole and how challenging it can be for people to go out and find the coach that's right for them. Uh, Some bad experience stories in there and I was thankfully able to contribute a little bit in terms of um, the positive aspects of coaching. So if you get a chance, do take a read of that. I don't think the article's online yet, but I'll be sharing it on social media where it is. Otherwise, it's in the March edition of the Cosmopolitan magazine. Uh, No advertising for them. I'm just talking about the article on coaching. And that brings me to today's guest. With over a decade of experience working specifically with voice through her various experiences, as a voice coach, voiceover artist, radio trainer and public speaker, Seema Agarwal has a deep understanding of voice and what lies beneath it. Her work has been broadcast across BBC One, Two and Three, BBC Asian Network, Radio Two, Five Live, BBC World Service, Cineworld and View Cinemas. Her extensive work in the corporate world from local government to Walt Disney led her to spend three years interviewing nearly 200 senior executives from 166 different companies, looking at how voice influences their decision-making around who they hire and who they do business with. Seema is keen to understand her methods and run further experiments to tackle issues ranging from employee engagement to bias in the courtroom. She's currently a lecturer in communications and media, and she'll also get to talk about what it took for her to venture into the world of amateur boxing. Let's hear from her now. Hello Seema and welcome to the Second Success Podcast. Hi Rakesh, thank you. And uh, as I introduced you, uh, as I introduced you to the listeners, um, I did mention that you are the voice of my podcast, so your voice will be very familiar to everybody. I did wonder if that was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, you know, I've got to, this is an opportunity to thank you um, with everybody listening. So yes, I do appreciate that, and it's had some very good feedback too. Oh, you're always welcome, and thank you for the no good problem. feedback. So, you know, again, thank you for joining me on. And today it's about, um, as I mentioned to you before we started recording this interview, um, a lot of the people I've interviewed to date, uh, their success has come from being uh, very good at sports at an early age, whatever sport they, they, they did do. So that competitiveness, the discipline, the structure that was put in place at an early age through sport somehow filtered through into their uh, business world, their work life, their personal life to to give them the success that they've gone on to achieve. And 
you've gone about it the other way. So I'm going to come to that. However, what I want to talk to you about initially is your world of work. You started in a corporate career and then switched to working for yourself. Can we just, I guess, go back to that and just give us a bit of an update and bring us up to speed of what you did and how you moved into working for yourself? Yeah, sure. I had a great uh, career in advertising and marketing and media. And uh, I guess I'm a bit of a generalist and I managed to, you know, build up some really good experience over, over a few years. And I worked on, you know, at, at different types of companies. So I worked um, client side, I also worked publisher side, and I went to startups as well. So I, I'm, I guess I managed to build up very varied experience and I really enjoyed everything that I did. So I think my first major uh, sort of role was at a company called Raconteur and they do all the special reports in the Times and the Sunday Times. And I joined their business to build up the digital side of the business and launched the online department and it was a really great challenge uh, I remember uh, we had to work really really hard to make it happen I used to be probably one of the first ones into the office and I was nearly always getting the last tube home um, but it was because we had a really tight deadline to get done and I think I I work well with deadlines I like you know having a bit of a challenge and yeah, it was it was great. It was it worked out really well. I think the online side of their business is still doing well to date, so that's great. And I was very passionate about the uh, the business because I really believed in what they were doing. And then after that, I went to a startup consultancy and I worked as an innovation consultant. So I had a lot more variety in that role because I worked with lots of different businesses, whether it was finance companies or local government or publishing so that was great and then after that I went on to Disney which was my first step into the big kind of corporate world I think I had only worked for small businesses up until that point I think that's about the time we kind of met it was just before you'd started Disney I think wasn't it yeah yeah that's right so uh, Disney was great as well in its own ways I had a completely different experience there because things obviously move a lot slow, slower when you go to a, a larger corporate brand. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, the projects I was working on were really exciting. So I was responsible for the UK digital strategy for the Aladdin. Um, yes, I remember. Yes. Yeah, the Lion King, the musical. So, yeah, it was really, really good um, fun. And... Then I think, uh, so at the same time, I was also doing an independent study on voice because I was really fascinated by voice. I think you know that I worked as a voiceover artist. I have worked as a PO for, I think, over 10 years now. And I guess looking at that in a corporate setting, I was really interested in how voice was making a difference to the way in which people were making decisions in their business mm -hmm. and so I had this kind of side project going on where I was uh, trying to research that area further and I think I interviewed just under 200 senior executives wow. from 
I think it was 166 different companies, you know, large mm-hmm. and small. And it was really, really fascinating. It was such an interesting um, project. And I guess I came to, it became something bigger than, you know, what it initially set out to be, which was just yeah. something out of curiosity. And I, I started realizing the impact uh, that voice had for so many people, because one of the things I did is I conducted my interviews in person. And there were so many stories that came out that I got to hear that I guess I wanted to look further into that area. And so I think I'd been wanting to do my own thing for a while, but I sort of kept, I think when I left uh, Matter, which Mm -hmm. was the um, innovation consultancy, I thought, shall I I go and do my own thing now? But then I sort of went back into safety and decided to go and work for Disney. And then when I was at Disney, I sort of thought, um, I got to a stage where I thought, I don't know if I'm, actually feeling satisfied in this role okay and uh and I thought now's the right time for me to go ahead and do what I want to do so I decided to uh resign I still remember that moment so clearly because I was coming back from Croatia I'd gone to speak at a university there and I was on the plane on the way home and it was a Sunday and I was obviously going into work on Monday and I remember this feeling that I wasn't really that excited about going into work the next day not just a oh Monday it's not a good day or whatever it was more a kind of a deeper feeling of I don't know if I'm feeling fulfilled by what I'm doing here mm-hmm. I don't know if I really believe how long have you been feeling that way that's a good question Rakesh I think probably a few months okay I think I only acknowledged it when I was had that time to think when I was on the plane because sometimes you're just you're going through life and you don't stop to reflect of course I I, the reason I asked that yeah I mean the reason I asked that there's a lot of people I do speak to that want to make that move and just don't feel happy in their roles but they will stick it out it's that fear and you like you're right they don't have the time to think they don't get that time away from life to be able to make the decisions that they need to make so yeah please do carry on I think that's very true and I think my life was very much like that when I was in the corporate world I rarely had time to stop and think and but I think when I did acknowledge it (laughs) when I realized something I I moved pretty fast so I think when I was on the plane I really had time to think and uh like you said it it had been a feeling it hadn't just originated there it'd been there for a little while I just hadn't sort of recognized it that evening I remember when I got back to my flat I um I you know thought really carefully about it and then I I typed out my resignation letter and I went in on Monday morning (laughs) and did it in and uh that's kind of typical me when I decide something I I become very stubborn about it and it has to be done Um, I'm not spontaneous in that way but I when I decide that I believe that I want to do something then I really 
I follow it through. Yeah, very resolute, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, just talking about that, but, you know, I, I sense a lot of achievements that you've uh, done there, you know, working for companies, you know, doing all those interviews. It's, to me, you're a very high achiever. Where Where's that come from? Where's that sense of wanting to achieve and do well come from? I think I have to give the credit for that to my mum. She is a very, very hard worker. And I've grown up seeing her just doing so many different things. She had her finger in so many different pies and she's a very determined woman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always been inspiring for me. And growing up, I just, I guess I was quite a curious person. I just wanted to always try different things out and, and then, yeah, everyone likes to achieve, don't they? Everyone wants likes that feeling. Of I, 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 well, you would you would think so, but I, I think what what played into there is role modelling behaviour. Again, you know, there's this whole adage of, you know, you're you're the average of the five people you spend most time with. But in effect, it's you know the people that you're hanging around with most or observe the most. You know, the, the good's going to rub off, and the bad's going to rub off. So, the fact that you had such a strong role model you know and that's going to have inspired you and subconsciously driven and you know this without going into the psychology of too much it's almost like you do want to emulate your parents and sometimes do better as well I guess um so having done the corporate and having decided to leave Disney um what did you then go on to do so when I left Disney that was when I decided if I want to do this thing Mm. with the voice coaching then now's a good time to do it mm-hmm. and if I'm not going to do it then you know forget it bin it just yeah. just do it and so I asked myself you know how much do I really care about this thing how much do I believe in it how important is it to me yeah. and I I couldn't hide away from the fact that it was really important to me because I think communication is so essential in every area of life and I guess that I wanted to I wanted to look at how I could coach people but not in the sort of typical way that um that voice coaching is presented because it was quite interesting I did a bit of uh, research into voice coaching at the time to see how other people were selling this idea and how they approaching voice coaching and a lot of it was more centered around speech impediments and accent reduction and things like that and I actually didn't believe in accent reduction I I specifically left accent out of my research because Mm. I don't think I don't believe that that's what the issue is I think that you can get people with um a very strong French accent, for example, yeah. that sound very credible. And I mm-hmm. think you can get people with that speak the Queen's English and have a great British accent, but really fail to engage of course. Any, any amount of time. I mean, for me, it's always about uh, being understood uh, and yeah. being clear enough that you're understood. I mean, I mean, I can vouch that, you know, I think I mentioned it in first or second episode of the podcast that how um, you helped me in terms of my vocal coaching and how, you know, some of the issues I used to have with speaking too fast, 
too many ums and ahs and all sorts. And I remember going through the process with you and I thought it was fascinating and, and, and how it evolved. And, and again, it was about that clear enunciation of what it is that my voice, what I wanted my intention of the vo- my voice to mean, uh, I'm obviously not saying it properly now, but uh, it, you know, what is it that I wanted my voice to communicate? And I think you made that so clear. And for me, that was so valuable. I mean, is that was, was that your intention? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said we all want to be understood. Mm. And I think, you know, I was thinking about this idea around why we come to do what we do or why, you know, one of my close friends, she's in publishing and writing and we were having this conversation and I said to her, I remember, I remember being in this yoga class when it came to me. I don't know why, um, but I just remember the moment that it came to me, you know, when I was asking myself why this is so important to me. And I think that something that gets under my skin is if my intention is misunderstood okay. or not communicated correctly. Mm-hmm. And when I realised that that's the thing that really gets to me and bothers me it made so much sense why this area was something that I was so drawn to because when we speak it's a lot of the time when people fall out Mm. they will say it's not what you said it's the way that you said it of course and I think if we can try to avoid some of those misunderstandings by expressing ourselves and our intentions more clearly then it saves us a lot of time and headache. <laughs> of course, I always say most issues can be resolved with clear communication and, and more often than not arguments, issues, wars or whatever it is, it's because there's been lack of clear communication uh, and people not understanding each other. So, ooh, heavy, but <laughs> so, Seema, um, I mean, and I guess I'm going to get to the crux of this podcast and it's about second successes but for me you know this is probably more than your second success it's what I see you being very successful and and again it's probably something that an entire podcast would be set on but it's how you moved into amateur boxing (laughs) and it's a complete switch I mean we've we've been talking about business work your vocal coaching you know you've you obviously lecture as well but actually your real passion now and the time that you a lot of time you spend on now is the boxing Hmm. so please tell me and everybody else is how did you make the move from you know work to spending a lot of time and effort in now a field of sports where a lot of people do it the other way around Mm -hmm. yeah I it was it wasn't a immediate transition where I just went suddenly from one thing to another Mm -hmm. I think boxing (laughs) I'm pausing and stopping because it's like oh gosh where do I start with you about memories Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that uh, initially boxing was just um, a class that I attended, a recreational thing. Um, I was one of those people that always went through phases of wanting to get fit and, you know, like, like loads of us do. And I don't really know what I was doing in a gym. If you went, if you just took me into a normal gym with free weights, I wouldn't know what to do. But um 
I would do classes like a lot of us do because they're easier to follow and more engaging. And um, yeah, I initially just went to a box fit class and I did that once a week. But I remember when I did it, I thought, oh, this is really interesting and this is quite you know engaging mentally you have to think about it and um but anyway I just continued once a week I didn't really think about it too much and then I think when I carried on doing it I started becoming more curious about the sport and about the skill behind the sport because I realized that there were so many dimensions to it um you know not just punching but head movement foot you know movement and, and you know thinking um i guess like real lesson comes hmm. yeah and i guess the real um dimension of challenge probably comes when you start sparring because mm. you've got an opponent in front of you and you you really have to think especially you know i i'd never been in a fight in my life mm. <laughs> i'd probably been in altercations but not physical ones and um I think you know that was the moment when I had to really mm. ask myself is this something that I want to do is this a sport that I want to pursue because this isn't just this isn't a joke you know yeah. it's quite a sport and uh I think the more I the more I started to learn about the sport rackish and the more I I practiced it I think I came to acknowledge that I, I don't know how it happened. It's really hard to pinpoint one specific moment, but I think that um, probably when I was walking home from not my first spa, but my the third time I sparred was with mm-hmm. uh, this 13 year old boy. And <laughs> it, was, it was a real wake up call. And um, I remember he, yeah, he. I remember when I first, my coach told me to spar him. I looked at him, and he was this like tall, skinny boy, and I was just like, "No, I can't hit him." And and then he gave me. He was probably thing. thinking the same thing. I don't want to hit a girl. <laughs> oh no, that's a different men and boys. Uh, men think like that. Boys, they don't want to get hit by a girl. So, <laughs> um, and yeah, I remember. I remember he absolutely schooled me mm. and um so then my coach got me to do another like four or five rounds with him just to make sure I completely learned the lesson and yeah um, and I remember like sitting at the tube station waiting to go home it was about like half ten at night and um and it was a long journey home and I remember that was when I I really asked myself you know the questions is this what I want to do you know it's going to take a lot of hard work it's going to take a lot of determination but I think even just the way that boxing made me reflect and made me think and made me question it was so interesting to me and I think that as I've progressed in the sport I could I could definitely say that it's the hardest thing that I've ever done mentally and physically because it's not just the sparring and the bouts, it's the, because you train twice a day sometimes? Yeah. Wow. You know, that's commitment. And and how many years have you been doing this now, Seema? About four, 
just no. over four years. Yes. Now. And how many how many fights have you had? Eight fights. Wow. Okay. You're right. It's uh, it's actually a lifestyle. It's not something that I do on the side. Mm. It's something that is very much the main focus of what I do, and then everything else kind of fits around it. Okay. And Thima, I th- this is a question I ask of all my guests. It's you know what three key attributes have they taken from their previous life into their current success so and, and I guess I don't know how challenging this might be for you but realistically you know everything that you've achieved in the corporate worlds through your working on your own you know what have you taken from that into the world of boxing or is it just completely different it's a new life are there mm. anything are there any key attributes yeah I think it's an interesting question and if I'm really really truthful I don't think that my corporate world mindset necessarily translates directly into boxing Mm -hmm. and for me personally i found that to box i've had to actually develop an entirely new mindset okay i used to make comparisons to other areas of my life when i had challenges and i didn't actually find it helpful or find that i could draw from some of those experiences to make me feel better or to explain things So, for example, my experience of the corporate world was that if you work hard, you climb up the ladder. And if you don't, then you don't. Yeah. I recognize that that isn't everyone's experience, but I would say that it was mine. Mm. In boxing, I realized that you could work really hard. You could put 100% in and you could still lose a fight. And I remember once thinking, but in other areas of my life, when I've put the work in, I've got the results. Mm. You know, it's boxing for me or what is it and my coach said to me you can't compare it like that this is boxing it's an entirely different ball game and it doesn't it doesn't really work like that yeah and um even if I think about other things I think in the corporate world your results they come from a mixture of what you say and what you do Mm. and I think that talking is a significant part of the game when you're in the corporate world but in boxing I feel like what you say is completely irrelevant and what you do is what counts for everything what about the self-talk Seema what about because you know I hear about a lot of elite sports people a lot of it is about self-talk and the and the language they use internally how does that Mm. affect you and how, how does that relate Yeah, I think that that's very, very true. I think boxing uh, forces you to become aware of um, yourself. And uh, and if what you're saying to self, sorry, if what you're saying to yourself actually tallies up with what your abilities are Mm. and what you're doing in terms of your actions. Um, So I think that it's it's definitely different in that way. I think in the corporate world, you could probably live in a bit of a bubble um, Mm. and believe, you know, in your own hype. But I think in boxing, I don't think you can do that. Um, And I think that self-awareness is so, so important. I think, I think what you've shown there is what Marshall Goldsmith says about what, got you here won't get you there so it's that you know we so we you know a lot of the people I've spoken to in the past have have used a lot of what they've learned some of the principles and applied the strategies but actually what you've just said there is that you've had to develop a completely new mindset so sometimes people when they venture out on to do something completely different have to become a completely different person 
No, I was going to say, is there anything that you think you've taken from your past into boxing now at all? Or is it completely new you? No, I think there are things. But I think that um, they didn't necessarily come from uh, my world of work. They were qualities that I had in me from an earlier age. They were perhaps developed and sharpened in the corporate world. They didn't come from there. So that would be things like my work ethic. Um, probably I would say resilience and bits of creativity. I think the corporate world gave me a good ground to practice those things in. But yeah, absolutely. Boxing has ha made me have to redefine certain things. So if we take something like confidence as an example, I think my whole understanding of that term and my relationship with that term has completely transformed in the time I've been boxing. Okay, and so, how's it different? Well, if I look back to my confidence when I was working full-time or even prior to that, I was very confident in my ability and what I was doing. But I think if I had to attribute a material to mm. my confidence, if, yeah, if I had to, you know, choose a material, I'd say it was probably made from glass, like okay. maybe hard glass but it could be cracked okay. or shattered I think my level of confidence would be boosted or lowered by my successes or non-success in the workplace so essentially it was very external okay but I think my participation in sport it's really taught me to go back to the basics and it's been really tough to let go of certain ways that I've carried for so long but now the confidence that I'm developing is more like cement like the root of that confidence is in my character and in my mm. actions so what happens outside of that you know whether I win or lose or have mm. a good spot or a bad spot it'll feel a certain way but the feelings will come and go that's a that's a great way to look at it and it completely resonates with me because I know I think I've always been confident uh, and but that confidence has always come about from my achievements awards or uh, adulations or whatever it is you know something external that people are bestowing upon me because I've done well and I know I've worked hard for but you're right it could have been shattered any time because it only needs one negative comment or something screwing up let's say uh, and then you're like oh uh, you, that confidence goes but I think through being through through becoming a coach and you know living the passion for helping people and coaching I understand now that I could easily make mistakes but it's okay I'm only human I think that gives me a lot more confidence now than I ever used to have before and it is a completely different kind of confidence so yes that's a great example thank you Seema I agree with you and I think acknowledging that we're human and we weren't designed to be perfect we I think perfectionism is actually a real a real issue mm. it's a real um if you if you try you know I think I've always had that where I wanted to aspire towards this perfect world and this perfect way of being yeah. and letting go of that um and continually trying to let go of that is um is doing me so much more benefit because I think quite dangerous perfectionism no it definitely is and it for me it's wonderful to see uh, your growth and your own understanding and awareness I mean happens as we get older but the fact that you found it through sport and through boxing I think it's uh, fantastic and what's um, what does the future hold for you in terms of uh, the uh, in boxing I guess where, where are you headed with it 
<laughs> I'll tell you when I've achieved it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm generally quite a private person. I, I think I think actually it's also important not to share your goals too widely. Yeah. Um, there are studies that mm. that what I naturally like to do but you know the idea is that when you do share your goals um sometimes you feel less motivated to actually achieve them because Mm. the praise and the adulation that people give you when you talk about them so generally you would receive that after you've achieved them so yeah I'll tell you when I've achieved it Rakesh that's right (laughs) and there's two schools of thinking there though um and I completely agree with what you said and then there's also the school of thinking that says when you make your goals a little bit more public, it holds you to account. So therefore, it's almost that uh, the driving factor that, that you made it public, it drives you to achieve so that when you have those down days, you've got mm-hmm. other people that are willing you on almost to go and achieve it. But, you know, everybody's different. And this is the thing. Yeah. Uh, whatever works, one works for what doesn't work for somebody else. So, uh, But yes, I very much am looking forward to it. And, you know, I've you know, been following you and your boxing. And I remember when the first time you told me and I was just so impressed to be honest and I remember you know especially with your earlier bouts you were telling me and uh, how things changed and how you grew through them so all I'm going to say is that I'm going to wish you all the best for it Seema it's been absolutely wonderful having you here and talking talking about your journey and I'm hoping people are going to get some different insights from this that and the insights that are that it doesn't matter what you've done you can go on and do something completely different because you can become a different person and, and take whatever you want from your past to, to move forward. It doesn't mean that, you know, you have to rely on your past achievements to go and succeed in something else. Uh, I hope that's been a fair summary. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, you can, I, I never thought that this chapter would have come in my life and the things that I've, learn and developed in this time I'm just so grateful for it it's it's something that when I look back at my my days in the corporate world I feel like they've just gone in a Mm. blip I can't pinpoint that many significant moments but in boxing I feel like I'm learning all the time every day and there's so much that you know it's uncomfortable really challenges me and demands a lot from me but it's also it's also really really satisfying thank you Seema and thank you once again for being on the second success podcast thanks for having me and I love the name of your podcast Rakish I think it's great uh I remember when I first saw second success I I didn't know what it what it meant and then when you explain the meaning I just thought it was fantastic it's really inspiring oh thank you thank you take care Thanks, Rakesh. Bye. And that was my good friend and prior voice coach, Seema Agarwal. Work ethic, creativity and resilience. Three attributes that very much resonated with me. So it was good to hear them from Seema and how she's been able to apply them. Have you ever considered what your key attributes are? What's making you move from one role to another or uh, applying something in a personal life to your career or vice versa? Is there something that you think is of value that I haven't mentioned or my guests haven't talked about on the series so far? I would love to know. Drop me a message. Um, are we missing anything? It'd be interesting because um, the guests all talk about passion, energy, resilience, creativity. It'll be interesting to hear if there are any others that we've not talked about. 
Today's movie clip is not one from Rocky, as you might think, considering Seema's uh, an amateur boxer, but it is from a boxing movie, and it's from Bleed for This. In this short clip, we have the protagonist talking about how he was deceived and how he was told that um, life's not as simple as we make it out, but guess what? It usually is. Do take a listen, and I hope you enjoy it. People are calling this one of the most unlikely comebacks in sports history. What do you attribute it to? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I had a lot of help. But you've also had a lot of adversity. You've had issues with management, conflicts of interest. Yeah, well, the boxing world looks, uh, looks shiny from the outside. It's filled with promises that most of them tend not to be lies. We can't rely on anyone. So what would you say the biggest deception was? What was the biggest lie you were told? It's not that simple. Why not? No, that's the biggest lie I was ever told. It's not that simple. And it's a lie they tell you over and over again. What's not simple? Any bit. All of it. It's how they get you to give up. They say it's not that simple, Vinny. So what's the truth? That it is. That if you just do the thing that they tell you, you can't, then it's done. It is that simple. And it always was. Thank you for listening to the Second Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach.